0: Um, My name is Lisa Walk. As you've probably heard by now, I'm one of the board members of AMEN. I happen to be the treasurer right now. Um, I'm also an associate professor. Um, I'm the clinical chief of geriatrics at Yale School of Medicine. And I have been coming to AMEN conferences for the past 10 years, And as a person, and I'll show you as a person who's not at an Adventist place, I've had this passion for trying to reach out to those of us who are practicing in in non-Adventist work environments. And so today I'm going to be talking about Christian witness in a non-Adventist work environment. Um, I have no disclosures, personal, financial, or personal. Uh, The other disclosure is that I don't have all the answers, which is why we're doing it in this format of having a workshop and a discussion. Okay, is that good with everyone? Let's practice speaking now. Is that good for everyone? Yes. Yes. Okay. (laughs) That'll be what we'll have to do. So let's let's practice the speaking now. So um, my objectives, which are a little bit different than uh, what's in the brochure. So I added a few more. So we're going to review the statistics about religion and spirituality in the United States, discuss some strategies to incorporate a spiritual history in our clinical care, Discuss the real and perceived challenges of witnessing in non-eventive settings, and then have a facilitated discussion, but we'll be discussing along the way here as well, about uh, best practices for sharing Christ in the workplace. You know, we're always looking for best practices in clinical care, so what are some best practices that we can have in our, how we share Christ in our workplace? Okay. Sorry about that. So... So first I'll tell you just a little bit about my story and then we're going to start talking so you have a sense of where I'm coming from and why I'm interested in this topic. So um, my family is from Barbados. My parents came to this country about two years before I was born and they were Moravian in Barbados. And so when they moved to the United States and then I was born, it was time for me to get christened and there was no Moravian church nearby. So I got christened and you can't see, unfortunately as well as I would like, I got christened in a Methodist church. Um, Then I went to grammar school at Redeemer Lutheran. So it was both a church and a school. And basically, the way it looked is the church was here. And then you would go around that way to the school. And so I um, went there for eight years of grammar school. I was confirmed Lutheran. So that was my upbringing grammar school. Then after that, I went to St. Francis Preparatory School with a Catholic prep school for a high school. This is all basically in my area where I grew up. so it was three minutes' ride from my house to my prep school. And then I went to college at Harvard. And so um, as you can see, thus far along, I've had influences with being Moravian with my parents, Methodist that I was christened. I was raised Lutheran, went to a Catholic high school, and then I went to college. And so I lived in this storm here, which is called Holworthy. Um, and as you can see, this center part of Harvard is Memorial Church, and at 10 minutes to 8 every day, the bells go off in the bell timer for morning prayers, and then they go off again at 8 o'clock. So all the freshmen live in Harvard Yard, and everyone can hear when it's time for morning prayers, because we're all supposed to go to morning prayers, um, although they're optional. So that was the, um, where I spent most of my kind of formative years at college. Then after I came back to New York, I went to medical school at Mount Sinai. So I had another religious tradition now of being exposed to Judaism. Um, And then I also did my residency at Montefiore, which is also a Jewish medical center. So I had another set of influences. And then I came to Yale to do my fellowship in geriatric medicine, and that's why I've stayed for faculty since then. So again, I show you this just to show I feel that I've been fortunate to have an exposure to a lot of different religious backgrounds and traditions through my own personal experience. Um, And therefore, it helps me kind of have some discussions with people because I have a better understanding of some of, of the religious tenets that people may ascribe to. So for me, some lessons learned were that many secular academic institutions have a religious component. Or religious background. So Harvard, if you didn't know, was started as a college for ministers. And so the crest, or the, or the, the crest for Harvard right here, which is Veritas, Christo, and Ecclesiastes, which that was the original one. So truth to Christ and the church. Now it's been simplified to just Veritas, just truth. But you can see the religious background. And so that's true for a lot of. The schools again that I'm familiar with in the Ivy League. So Luxin Veritas, which is the symbol for Yale, light and truth. Um, Yale was formed as Yale was formed in response to the liberalism of Harvard. So a lot of things that Yale are trying to kind of contrast what was at Harvard. But as you can see, it's written in Hebrew in the middle, um, because Eli Yale was a, a studier of Hebrew and, and liked Hebrew and Judaism. And so there's a strong Jewish component at Yale. Um, Princeton, in theirs at the top in Latin, says New and Old Testament, and then she thrives under the watch of God. So a lot of the schools, again, now most of us don't speak Latin, but a lot of the schools do have this background. Um, Columbia has, by your light we shall see. Brown says, "In in God we hope. And that's the thought where we get on our money, in God we trust, because a lot of the people that dealt with the money originally were from Rhode Island, and so... Again, seeing that we've had a lot of traditions within um, secular places that still have a religious background religious training. And so part of what I want to talk about today is what Sister Dirksen started to bring out, that there are a lot of different ways that we can share it with our witness. It doesn't always have to be praying, but certainly we do want to pray with our patients. It may be having that listening ear, like they were saying, the clear model, kind of acknowledging what's going on. It may be just having a pleasant word to say that day, I am praying for you, um, I'm I'm thinking of you. I can, can I help you with that? Can I pray for you about that? Um, or just even listening. What did you do this weekend? Every Monday, that's a topic of conversation. And just by saying, I went to church on Saturday, someone's always like, Saturday? You meant Sunday, right? Like, no, I went to church on Saturday. And that generates a conversation right there. So there are a lot of easy ways that you can even just start having conversations with whatever level you're comfortable with at that particular point in time. Um, and so, so, this, so that's some of what we're going to talk about as well. So this is my hospital. Um we, Yellow Haven Hospitals across the street from my office makes it very convenient. I attend two months of the year, um, and the rest of the time I do mostly academics and, um, and administrative work. And so about two years ago, we purchased the local community hospital, so we acquired the local community hospital. So now we have two campuses of the one hospital, um, as they like to say, two locations but one destination or something like that but, um, but you can see this campus is the St. Mary Fields campus because that used to be St. Mary Fields hospital that we acquired so a hospital within the Catholic tradition and my unit is being moved to this hospital next week as I speak and uh, I'll try with the lights again but when you come in the main entrance then this is what you see so when you come in the main entrance is over here then you see right this the healing ministry of Christ and it's the pool of slum and, and I tried to take a head picture head on but it didn't come out so well. But this is a close up and so it was commissioned back in nineteen eighty eight. It goes through the whole story. So if someone's not familiar with the story and that's the entrance when you come in. The hospital has a lot of stained glass windows, one quarter has all of the uh, the Passion of Christ, you know, the whole steps to the cross. Another one has a lot of, the Sisters of Charity, with the, um, the, the sister group that helps support. So we have parish nurses in the, um, in the hospital. So there's a lot of religious influence. Part of the contract with, um, with Yale purchasing the hospital, the Pope had to agree, because it's a Catholic hospital, um, it has to go to the Pope. And he did, obviously, because we were able to purchase it. But each room still has to have a crucifix. Um, there are morning prayers every morning on the campus and so even though it's now part of Yale New Haven Hospital part of the negotiations where they had to keep their Catholic tradition right, and still um, following the Catholic traditions in the hospital so it's going to be a different setting for me to work in as well compared to what we do on the other side of the street Um, as I was showing you before with the FICA which is one way of doing it this is part of what we ask in our questionnaire so again I'm a geriatrician we ask all of our new patients on the new patient intake. There's a section where we say, what is your religious affiliation? Then we give choices, Protestant, Catholic, um, Muslim, no religious denomination. Um, for those of you who don't know, that um, uh, Connecticut is the most Italian state in the country. And as such, we have a lot of Catholics. Um, most of my colleagues are Catholic, hence their are Catholic hospitals and such. How often do you attend religious services? And it could be once a day, once a week, once a month. People given the choices, they check off. And then how much is religion a source of support to you? And so this is something we ask everyone when they first come to our office. And so therefore, it gives me an opportunity, based on what they've said in this part, to have that conversation, depending on what comes up during the conversation, what the needs are. Most of my patients are being seen for things like cognitive issues or depression a lot. But again, having this information to know what they're saying their religious background or not uh, is, is very helpful. So I want to move on then talking a, a little bit more about some of the kind of practicalities. And again, we're going to do some small groups with this as well. So, Um, These are based off of situations that I personally have had and so I just want to hear what people would think that they would do in these situations and I'll tell you what I in fact did. So you're evaluating a new patient who's brought in by her daughter. During your conversation the patient states that she's been living out of state for several years. She um, recently returned home after her husband died two years ago. She used to be very active in her Baptist church. Her husband in fact was a pastor and so she helped lead out in a lot of the ministries. But now she can't even pray. And while she's telling you this story, she's crying intermittently as she's telling you her life story. So, what do you recommend with her? How do you close the visit? What do you say that you're going to do next time? This is the patient that's coming to see you. And so, so, um, so what I did. Is, fortunately, we I do have the benefit of time. We allot uh, 90 minutes for new patients for us, and we do 30 minutes, <laughs> 30 minutes for a return um, wow. patients. Okay. And so, um, and so with us, uh, the way, and that's the way my consultation clinic is is set up. In that time, we have a separate family room and patient room, so we separate the patient and family when they come in. Our nurse case manager talks with the family in the family room and gets a history from them, while the physician is talking with the patient. We come out after we've done our initial assessment, um, discuss with each other what the issues are that. The patient brings out, and the family goes, and we go back in. And then we have a big powwow at the end where we bring it all together. So um, so I did have the benefit of having time. And with her um, being crying and tearful, and, and she wasn't demented. That was quite easy. I mean, she did very well on the testing. And it was very clear that she was depressed. And so trying to get more at what was going on with that. Well, when she had come back, she did try to go to the church that had gone to before, where her husband had been the pastor. But there were just too many reminders for her in that church, and everyone still saw her as, you know, pastor such and such's wife, and so that just kind of reopened the wounds all the time, which is why she stopped going to that church, um, but then really felt this void, she had been leading Bible studies, she had been um, up in the church doing all this prayer ministry and other things, and now couldn't do any of that, just felt like she couldn't pray, she couldn't do any of that, it was just too raw, and the one place that she knew to go just made it even worse. So that was also making her feel worse, that she no longer had this connection that she had enjoyed. And so I shared with her that I was also a Christian, and I, I had to ask her again what her religious denomination was. She reminded me that I was Baptist. And so I had been asked to speak at a Baptist church probably about two, three years prior to that um, to talk about women's health or something like that. And so um, I mentioned to her that maybe she'd want to go to that particular Baptist church, um, that it seemed like a very welcoming church when I was there and Mormon friendly. And in fact, um, there was a woman in the church who her husband had been the founder and pastor of that church, and he had since died, and she was still in the church. She was one of the people that had invited me, and she was very vibrant and outgoing, and I think that maybe they would have a connection as being two um, widows of pastors and be able to have that connection. And so I mentioned to her the name of the church, and I mentioned to her the name of the woman I was thinking of, and then she really started crying. Okay, So I was like, okay, now what's wrong? I'm thinking that would be helpful. Well, that church is the church that's across the street from her. She had seen it and had never gone into it. And the woman that I was telling her about that would be this great person for her to connect with was her cousin. Okay, And so hearing that, she was like, Clearly, I was supposed to meet with you. I mean, there are about 15 of us in our practice, so she could have been assigned to any physician. Um, Happened to be assigned to me, you know, happened to be. um, Happened that that's the only Baptist church I've ever been to in Connecticut, this one that I've been invited to speak at. Happened that I, I mean, all these things can't be happenstance, right? Whether or not you believe in God or not, there's just, probability does not equate with all of this. And these are two of my favorite Bible verses, and I mentioned these to her. So Exodus 23, 20, Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and, prepare, and bring you to the place I prepared. Now, not to say that I was the angel, but there was a reason why God sent me to that particular Baptist church so that when I could mention it to her, she knew exactly what I was talking about and in fact had wanted to go but couldn't get herself to go into the church. And another one is that it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer, and while they are yet speaking, I will hear. And again, to be able to tell her that I had been there two years before, she was still even down south. Her husband was still alive at that point in time, and I had been able to go there to be able, I told her, to share this with her then. Um, I said that she was depressed. I normally would say that, you know, she would need to do some kind of depression recovery, some kind of medication counseling, something, but in her case, I... My prescription literally was go to church. That was my prescription to her. You need to go to church. This was a Thursday. You need to go this Sunday and step over that threshold and go into church and meet with your cousin and spend some time. And so when we went to do the wrap-up all together with her daughter, and I'm telling her daughter what's going on, they both just start crying. She, you know, <laughs> They're like gushing. I'm trying to get all these tissues. And so her daughter's like, God sent us here to see you. Thank you for helping my mom. You know, and so more so than anything else, it was, as you're saying, listening to be able to get that story, but also all the divine providences that were into it um, had both of us touched in, in terms of how much God cares for each one of us to be able to set all these things up in perfect alignment. So, and that was the easy one. So, in fact, in terms of the praying part, I started to ask, would she mind if I said a prayer for her? And she said, no, she wouldn't. And I said, better yet, why don't you pray? And she gave the most beautiful prayer, again, crying through all of it. And this was a woman who said she hadn't been able to pray for the last couple of years. And just to see her and her daughter leave, both so happy. Like, I hadn't done anything, right? She didn't leave with the prescription, she, except accepted the prescription to go to church. Um, and so that was what she needed, to have someone here and to understand and be able to tell her, to give her some recommendations. Let's go. Why don't you go there? That's the place that maybe God has for you to go, and your cousin will be there, and all these things will be um, uh, things I think that would be helpful to her. And so, um, so I didn't pray with her. She did the prayer, uh, and it came out just based on listening and seeing how she was doing, but that was a great opportunity to witness to her and her daughter because right? her daughter hadn't been able to get or go back to church either. Okay, another situation. So Christian witness with direct report. So you recently hired a new employee for your institution. During your check-in meeting, he states that he started praying with his patients before he left his private practice. So you've been in private practice for 38 years now. He works for your institution. And he asks you if it would be okay for him to continue um, praying with patients now that he works for your institution. He also asks if it would be okay for him to list two of his books on spirituality and health as recommended reading in the after-visit summary. You know, we do electronic medical records, and so you write out instructions for the patients of what they're supposed to do is the summary of the visit and what you want them to do in the future. So how do you respond to his inquiries? So there are two aspects to this ask, right? There's one, can you pray with patients? That's the first part. And two, can I put my two books on their after-visit summary? He says, book, did you write them? He wrote them, yes. He's the author of them, yes. Yes, he wrote them. That's what he said to me. I have two books that I wrote on spirituality and health, and would it be okay if I put that on the after-visit summary? No. No, he's not. And that was, that was one of my questions, too. I said, if you want to give away things, that's totally different. So, so in terms of the praying with the patient part, I mean, obviously we were here at Amen. I said, if you ask someone, is it okay if I pray with you? And they say yes, then by all means, yes, you can pray with them. I similarly do the same thing. I was concerned that you would just pray regardless of whether or not the person wanted that prayer, because as I showed you in our intake, we do ask um, at least about spirituality, and I showed you the statistics, about 5% of physicians, maybe about 2% of people overall in population do not have a belief system in God. And so Yale is particularly big on um, uh, tolerance, but also not forcing things on people, right? So if they say yes, then that's absolutely okay. If they say no and you still proceed to prayer, then that would be something problematic, right? That's proselytizing. Um Yeah, so in terms of how we land with things. So definitely knowing if you ask someone, that's that's fine. The books, I haven't seen them. Um, He wasn't giving them away for free. He was selling them, although he says he gets very little, because I know as an author you don't get a lot for them, but certainly not putting it on the after-visit summary. So I mentioned to him, um, no, you cannot put that on the after-visit summary. If you want to mention to your patient that you have, you know, if you feel that there's someone that might uh, benefit from it, if you want to have a copy that they can see, let them know that it's not for free. I mean, that's different, but you can't write it as a, a prescription per se. Purchase my book and buy this and then deal with that. And so that would be, that would be against the obligations. So again, if it's for free, then you have, the choice part is part of it as well. So not just the paying. So if it's free, you offer it, you can offer it then to the person. If you would like to have my book, it's here. I think this might help you. That's fine. Because if they say no, then they leave it. But it's again, being the, the freedom of choice. Yes. I of okay. a, a, scenario, a scenario that happened um, last year. Um, have you ever thought about that? Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm saying this to all the patients, right? so But, yeah. Come to the patient. Have you ever thought about that? <laughs> um, you know, she flipped out and she was really you know. So I was just thinking in that case, you know, it also depends on the approach of this gentleman. How do right. he then, you know, validate
1: his approach? Right.
0: And this is a completely new employee to me. I haven't seen him clinically, much less spiritually. I I don't know what approach he has, and that's part of it as well, that I said I need to also kind of, one, I need to see the book. Two, I need to see what approach and how you're presenting it to the patient population, because you're new to them as well. It's different than the patients you've been seeing for 38 years that know you. You've had a long-standing relationship. How how is it that you're going to approach the patient? So um, this is also one of the phrases that came to me, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, but when a wicked man rules, the people groan. So having some of those who are in places of authority, hopefully that when we're when we're overseeing our direct reports, that we're doing so in a way that um, reminds them that we're amongst the righteous. So still trying to have that balance where I didn't want to tell them, no, obviously you should pray with patients if they want to, but I also didn't want that you're, again, with the book that I don't know that you're selling, um, even if it were for free, to have that balance, right? So you don't want to have where um, you're coming down on him and and saying, no, you shouldn't be doing that. Obviously I want him to pray with patients who want that, but to do so in a manner that's respectful of people as well. Whoops, sorry, we're running of time. Um, so the last thing I wanted to do is Christian witness with colleagues, and I'm sorry I'm not going to go up and down the lights, but this is my office, my desk at work. And so it dawned on me um, after coming to the Amen series uh, a while back that you know your office says a lot about you, and so or whatever your workspace is. So what does your office say about you? And I took a an assessment maybe like year one or two. But what does my office say? If someone comes into my office, what do they know about me? And so I I tried to make my office in a way that it would represent things that I think are important, that I want people to know. So um, so that's a picture of New York you can't really see. I'm originally from New York. That's a picture of Barbados, where my family is originally from. My calendar is a religious calendar. I have Isaiah um, 6524 on my screensaver. Cause it's one of my favorite verses. Um, obviously, I have a cross that I brought back from Dominican Republic. I take Yale medical students on a um, mission trip for a week during spring break to Dominican Republic. But without my saying anything, when people come into my room, when I meet with my direct reports, I meet with anyone, these are things I want them to know about me. I want them to know that I have um, a religious background, that I'm a Christian. I want them to be able to know that without my having to say anything to them. I may not have an opportunity to say something to them. But the other thing is, one of the sayings I have above my, that you notice above my desk is this from St. Francis de Sales. Have patience with all things, but first with yourself. Never confuse your mistakes with your value as a human being. You're a perfectly valuable, creative, worthwhile person simply because you exist, and no amounts of triumphs or tribulations can ever change that. Unconditional self-acceptance is the core of a peaceful mind. And if you remember I told you most of my colleagues are Catholic and I've had so that's particularly why I like to have this quote by Saint Francis de Sales. I've had several of my colleagues say to me, "I can't do that." And I'm like, "Well, what can't you do?" They can't have patience with themselves, and they can't have unconditional self-acceptance. And then that's been able to lead into a discussion, well, why can't you have that? God God has um, unconditional acceptance of us. If he has patience with us, how can you not have patience with yourself? So I've had this saying of just people say, seeing that on my wall has been a way, again, of generating conversation. And so, I'm sorry, we're, we've run out of time but what I wanted you to think about is like what does your workspace say about you and this is another way to witness um, in your in your workspace so and why is it important that we're sharing Christ and our Christian principles what can you do or what have you done to your workspace to show more of a Christian witness so that even if you're not there even if you don't speak you know whoever cleans my office knows something about me right just by looking and so I think that we always think of us having the conversation or what we do, but there are other ways that we can profess our belief system. So, so just in closing, the take-homes. So many non-adventurous work environments do have religious backgrounds or affiliation. That's also a source of discussion. I use that as well at work when someone will say something like, well, did you know that the foundation of this institution was you know, religiously based? Some, a lot of times people don't know. Most Americans ascribe to religious affiliation. so. Checking to see which either your patients or your colleagues, if they ascribe to one. The uh, Amer- Association of American Medical Colleges, the World Health Organization, and the Joint Commission all recommend that uh, spiritual history be part of clinical care. So you're on firm grounds by asking these spiritual um, questions, a spiritual history. Patients and our colleagues benefit when we display our Christianity, and there are many ways to share uh, our Christianity. It doesn't always have to be directly speaking, and I'm going to end with this quote from Prophets and King. Kings, every life is a light that brightens and cheers the pathway of others or a dark and desolating influence that tends towards despair and ruin. We lead others other, either upward to happiness and immortal life or downward to sorrow and eternal death. And I think we all want to be ones that are leading our colleagues, or our patients, or our friends upward. Um, to eternal life. So I'm hoping that this session gave you some tools of how to do that and encouragement to um, to do a little bit more than what we're doing now currently with our patients and our colleagues and our friends. So that's all I have to say. I apologize. I ran over Thank you very much. This media was produced by Audioverse for Amen, Adventist Medical Evangelism Network. If you would like to learn more about Amen, please visit www.amensda.org.